Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in and welcome to you. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode 104, I had to remember, of our Truth Tidbits, and God bless you today. Today I want to speak on this topic, the day that's on the way, because it is on the way. And you will understand what I mean as we get into God's Word today and see what day am I talking about. What do I mean by the day that's on the way? I want to pick up in Second Peter chapter 3 again. And believe it or not, today we're going to cover one verse. But we are going to cover that one verse verse, and we will be looking at some other scriptures as well. Today, I want to read to you 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it shall be burned up. We're going to talk about this day that's on the way. And Peter defines it, as many other scriptures do, as the day of the Lord. But first I want to look at the little word, but, at the very beginning of that chapter, or of that verse, excuse me. If you'll remember the last few moments, episodes that we have spent together, we've talked in Second Peter chapter 3 about several things. We talked about the fact that his coming is, uh, is certain. He is coming. The king is coming still. That's what we looked at yesterday. And we drew from the first several verses of Second Peter chapter 3. I want to go back and just make a couple of points because this but is it ties to that and it picks up from what Peter has said in verses 1 through 9. So let's look at that for a moment. In verses 1 through 7, Peter focused on the certainty of the Lord's return as king and the suddenness with which it will come. Just like the flood came suddenly after years and years of warning. Then in verse 8, we find out this is in answer to the mockers. Verse 8 and 9 is Peter's answer to those in the, in the mocking category that he described earlier in verses 1 through 7, who basically are saying, Hey, we've heard this stuff all of our life. Where is the promise of the Lord's coming? He sure hadn't come. We, we were told way back he was going to come 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 100 years ago, whatever. And he still isn't here. So, you know, they're mocking. They're mocking this. And so in verse 8 and 9, Peter gives the Lord's answer. Because remember, he's under the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God when he's writing this letter. So he says in verse 8, he talks about God's long-suffering, how one day to the Lord is like as if it were a thousand years, 
and a thousand years is in his sight and in his time clock about as equivalent as one day. So his timing is much different. And then in verse 8 and 9 together, Peter picks up on the fact that God is very long-suffering. In other words, he's putting up with a lot of things, and he's doing it for one purpose. He's delaying, in a sense, not that he's tardy about it, but it's through this time period that he is allowing for all who will believe in him to come to repentance and not perish. That's the heart of God. I don't care who you are. I don't care how mean you've been. I don't care what evil you've done. I don't care. It could be as uh, it could be something that we would consider to be minor sins, maybe cheating on your taxes, stealing from your employer, um, you know, pride or selfishness or depression or whatever it could be. It could be minor things. Or it could be huge, what we would consider to be huge. And there are varying, excuse me, there are varying degrees of punishment for varying levels of sin. And that is just. That's a form of justice and righteousness. But the point is, all sin ultimately is against the Lord. It's an offense and a rebellion against him. It's choosing to do it our way, or really we're doing it Satan's way, instead of choosing the Lord. We are all involved in some degree of sin, and all sin is equivalent in that sense to the Lord, that it is all an offense to the Lord. And that's why he says that God wants us to come to repentance. Here it is in Second Peter 3, 9. That's the purpose behind why God is tarrying, if you will, why it appears that he's not come yet. That's the reason. We know the reason. And so it means the salvation of more and more souls. But then he goes and he says in verse 10, but, and this but here signifies that whether the people that he talked about before in, the, in that earlier verse he says, whether these mockers will repent, whether the sinners will repent or not, this is still certain. What's, what I'm telling you now is still going to happen. You have the opportunity. See, when, when Noah was preparing for the flood during that whole hundred or so years, he's preaching. The Bible says he was a preacher of righteousness to his generation. So he's giving the warning, warning after warning after warning after warning, year after year after year for a very long period of time. So they had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to believe the word of the Lord, take the warning and repent. And they did not do it. But the day came when the floods came on the earth and it was a sudden day, the people weren't expecting it. They thought everything was continuing like normal and it was going to. But the floods came to the earth. Same kind of thing here. People have been mocking. You know, people are trying to stay in their sin and not repent. And God is pulling out. He's, he's uh, delivering to everybody invitation after invitation after invitation Day to day to day. That's why people like myself are out here promoting the word of God, preaching the word of God, teaching the word of God, trying to share the heart of God with all of those who will listen to come, to come to Jesus before it's too late.
because there is a day of the Lord coming that is certain and it is on the way. So let's find out what that's about. He says, whether or not they come to repentance or not, that appointed day of judgment is coming and it is certain. So he calls it the day of the Lord. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament in the Bible, especially the prophetic books, you will recognize this term. Many of the Old Testament's pro of the Old Testament prophets speak of this day, and many of them call it the day of the Lord. Sometimes they'll refer to it as the day, the day of vengeance, the day of judgment. Those are all some terms that you will find in the scriptures. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was reading from the scroll of Isaiah in Luke chapter 4, he read from Isaiah 61, and he stopped mid-sentence in verse 2 or 3, I believe it is, and he did not read the rest of that. Why? Because it was not the time then for that part to be fulfilled. All of the other parts were fulfilled when he came the first time. But the very last part, the day of the vengeance of our God, that's when he comes the second time. And he will pour out the vengeance of the Lord, the wrath of the Lord upon all of his enemies, save the Jewish people, and establish his coming millennial kingdom. So this also refers to the day of Jesus' reign as king. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 prophesied that the government would be upon his shoulders. Zechariah 6, 14 and, 6 and 14 and Daniel chapter 7 speak about he will be a priest king on his throne. He will have an everlasting kingdom. Joel chapter 3, verses 1 through 14 and Matthew 25 speak about a sheep and goat judgments of the nations. That is all referring to this same time period called the day of the Lord. It's also the day of Jesus' kingdom reign on earth from Jerusalem. And that was prophesied in many chapters in the book of Isaiah. Also prophesied in Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 9. And in Daniel chapter 2. I want to turn to that one for a moment and read a couple of verses that really jumped out at me when I was reading these again this morning and preparing for this. And this is one of the places I want us to, um, to look at today, and I did not mark it, so let me quickly, quickly find it for you. In Daniel chapter 2, we remember Daniel chapter 2 is when Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he dreams of this grand statue and, you know, the head is of gold, and then he, he goes on, and there's, you know, uh, iron, and there's brass, and, you know, there's all these different things. And Daniel gives him the interpretation of this. But what I want to focus on right now is Daniel chapter 2, verses 34 and 35, and then 44 and 45. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 34 and 35, Daniel is giving Nebuchadnezzar the the recounting of what he dreamed because one of the things that Nebuchadnezzar was demanding was that they tell him what he dreamed and then give him the interpretation. So these verses are when Daniel was concluding the actual recounting of this is what you dreamed, O king. And it says this in verse 34 and 35. 
You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now turn over and look in verse 44 and 45. Now Daniel's giving the interpretation of what Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed. And he says this in verse 44. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this, the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. So Daniel is confirming these things that Nebuchadnezzar has seen that God has revealed to him about this coming day of the Lord. That the Lord is that stone cut out of the mountain without hands who will have an everlasting kingdom. And Daniel says this is certain and sure. It's going to happen, period. It will come to pass. So this day of the Lord can include the entire tribulation period all the way through the millennial reign until we see the new heavens and the new earth and this earth is completely destroyed. Sometimes it refers to certain parts of that, but it in essence covers that whole time period in some way. Peter here is focusing on the certainty and the suddenness of this end. To find out more of the general, I mean of the specific details, you can look in many other prophetic books and even Jesus teachings and many other things. And we'll mention some of those, and I have mentioned a few of those already. But Peter's focus here is he's tying it to the fact that the mockers came and said, oh, the, when's this going to happen? And we believed it for lo so long, it still hadn't happened, and they're mocking. And then he goes to Noah, and he talks about the suddenness of the fact that Noah preached and preached and preached, and in fact, it did happen. And so Peter is trying to focus on that, and that is the certainty of it and the suddenness of the actual end. A lot of times you hear talk about the end of the world. Well, the end of the world is still yet a, a ways away. I don't care what the climate change and globalists and global warming people try to tell you, the world's not going to end yet. It's going to be here for quite a while. We still have at least seven years plus a thousand years of a millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And I happen to believe the Bible is literal. God's not trying to trick us. When he says it will be a thousand years that Jesus will reign in Jerusalem, guess what? It's going to be a thousand years he will reign in Jerusalem on this earth that is standing right now. So we've got at least a thousand plus seven years. 
We don't know how many more there are because we don't know exactly when the Lord's return is is ahead. We just know it's coming. So we know that this earth is going to be here for a while. But he has, Peter has a special burden and purpose that he's going to iterate for us in the next session. We'll talk about it, but it's in the following verses. And we're going to cover that. We just can't, we don't have the time today because the Lord's given me so much else to cover today. So I'm praying that this won't be too long. So he focuses on general details here that correlate to what he has already said earlier in these verses. The general and the certainty of this, this is the true end of the earth. Jesus will come, he says, as a thief in the night. He's not a thief in the night, but it says he's coming in like manner to a thief in the night, meaning that it is going to be sudden and unexpected. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 through 44, Jesus even refers to that. As a matter of fact, in this passage, he also connects with the days of Noah. And he says, as it you know, as it is in the days of Noah, as that was, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then he goes on down to verse, excuse me, 43, and he says this, But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Now, Jesus is not the thief, but he's using that illustration to help us understand that he is coming suddenly just in the same manner as a thief in the night would come. And he reiterates that again for us over in Revelation chapter 16, verse 15. This is the Lord speaking. Jesus says this in verse 15 of Revelation 16. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment, lest he walk naked, and they shall see his shame. So Jesus is coming in a manner like a thief in the night, in that suddenness that that is ahead for us. So we we got to be ready now because it will be sudden, and it will be at a time when we're not expecting it necessarily to happen. But when this happens, when this happens that Peter is referring to here, when the Lord's second coming in verse 10, he's talking about the Lord's second coming and possibly even the actual end of the millennial reign. There's de debate over exact the order of some of these elements, but this is part of what it's talking about here. And when this happens and Jesus brings this final end of all the judgments on the earth, perhaps even his own reign on the earth, <clears throat> Excuse me, please. Then it says the heavens will pass away with great noise. That's interesting because that great noise means a crash. That's literally what it means. This is talking about the outer space and perhaps even the atmospheric heavens, the canopy that surrounds our earth. That's what it's talking about. These heavens, they're going to literally come to a crash. It'll, they'll come crashing down or evaporate or whatever. I don't know how it's all exactly going to happen. But the word means a crash. Then he says, 
that the elements will melt with fervent heat. The elements there is talking about the fundamentals, the, um, the rudimentary or material causes of the universe that God has put in place, matter, etc. Perhaps even atoms, molecules, perhaps the periodic table of all the elements that we have been able to identify, etc. I want to read verse uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 to you very quickly, and we are drawing down to a bit of a close here for today. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, he is speaking here about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and he says this in verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So what I want to focus on in verse 3 right now is that word, upholding all things by the word of his power. Do you realize that right now what is holding the earth in its orbit in outer space, what is holding Mars in its orbit in outer space, what is holding the sun together, what is holding all of the galaxies and the entire universe together is nothing more than the word of the Almighty God, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. His dynamite rhema is really what that says. The word of his power is his dynamite rhema. He spoke, and that word is holding together all things. I want to show you something, and I have mentioned this a time or two in the past, but I want to point out a couple of scriptures here in Psalm. Psalm chapter 96, verse 11 says this, Let the heavens rejoice, and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Psalm 97, verse 1, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the multitudes of isles be glad. When you look at the Hebrew definition of some of those words, it is speaking about the rejoice or be glad. Sometimes they're translated either way, but it literally means a spin dance, to twist around and twirl around in a circle. Jesus spoke and said, let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. His word set them in motion in an orbit, in a spin dance before the Lord. And to this day, I've read some articles and so forth that scientists have even wondered why. What is it? How is it that the earth spins? And why? Well, I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to speak into that arena with any authority there, but I will speak to the authority of the Word of God that the Bible says He spoke and He commanded them to do a spin dance before Him. He commanded them to twirl and to go around in a circle. And it is His dynamite rhema word that set them in motion and that is upholding that. And that is why for at least the 6,000 years, depending on what you believe about creation, I happen to believe it's a new, it's a, a, a newer earth and that it was approximately 6,000 years when God created this earth and the heavens. And I believe that when God said to them, spin around, you rejoice, you twirl around in a circle. 
He spoke that, and he has been upholding that very word. And that's why the earth spins day by day by day. That's why the earth orbits the sun, and so do the other planets. Because Jesus spoke that word into existence when he created them. And Hebrews tells us that, they, that he upholds all things by the word of his power. His word is holding them in place. So Peter tells us here of the certainty of this coming day. This is the end when his that command to spin around will come to its end. Its duration will be completed at that time. The time will have arrived for God's fiery judgment on this earth. I kind of refer to this and possibly other other teachers and so forth do as well. And, and I don't mean any uh, disrespect to anyone here, but I tend to refer to this somewhat as a true global warming. The true global warming will be when God's fiery judgment comes and the entire earth, all the elements, and it says the works in it will be burned. One of the things we can learn from this, and we'll talk about more in the next episode but one of the things we can learn about this is that this is going to be the end of this material world and the universe. So how should that affect us? Well, Peter's going to tell us in some ways. But the first thing that I want to say, or the last thing that as we're closing down here that I want to bring out, is this. We don't need to be tied to material things, whether that's Houses, retirement funds, investments, money, stock, um, cars, you know, fancy this or fancy that or, or whatever it is. We need to be grateful for those blessings. And yes, we need some of those things in our life. We need vehicles to get where we need to go or horses or whatever it is, form of transportation that you might use. We need a home of some kind, shelter from the rain and the storms. The, we need basic things to provide for us. And God is good and God is gracious. And we are to thank him on a regular basis. May we have an attitude of gratitude, but may we not get attached to those things, to where we're trying to hold on to them, where we're trying to cling to them, where those things become our life or our idol worse. Worse than that, even idolatry. Oh, we need to recognize that this material world, all those houses, all those cars, whether they're thatch homes in a desert somewhere or in a, in a jungle somewhere, or whether they're fancy homes, you know, with penthouses or, you know, 20 stories or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. All of that is going to be burned up one day, every bit of it. And the great news is that we have the promise of a brand new world that is coming, new heavens and a new earth. And you can read more about that in Revelation chapter 21, verse 20, uh, 21 and chapter 22, excuse me, Revelation 21 and 22. But I want to close out today reading these last few verses, and then we will close. Isaiah 66 verse 15 and 16 says this for behold the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger in with fury 
and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by sword the Lord will judge all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. Then down in verse 22 it says this, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And so he's giving a promise to the priests and the Levites of Israel here in Isaiah. But the promise is pointing us to Revelation 21 and 22 when we read about the new heavens and the new earth. And John is shown it and gives more details about this. The good news is that there is a new earth and new heavens coming. And I promise you they are going to be more glorious than anything this earth has to offer. Don't be tied to material things because the day of the Lord is on its way and it's coming soon. Don't be caught unawares. Don't be like the person who wasn't aware that the thief, in, uh, the thief was coming in the night and wasn't prepared. Be prepared. Make ready. Make your heart right with God. Make sure your destiny is secured. Be on watch. Guard and don't let your heart be drawn away by material things that are going to be burned up. I pray that this has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of our Truth Tidbits. God bless you today in Jesus' name.